Today we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. My idea for this show was to invite guests and get the conversation started, to take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. And we encourage our listeners to look within themselves to take decisive action to make a positive difference. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. I'm your host, Bill Myers, and we are continuing our series during Black History Month. And today I'm very excited. You know, you hear me say I'm excited every week, but I am excited every week because I get to have these wonderful conversations with a bunch of wonderful people all over the place. And so I, I really do enjoy what I do. So uh, I want to talk about today's show's topic is jazz has been uprooted. And my guest is Kadifa Wong. So I would like to share with you a little bit about this uh, topic today. Um, uprooted is an informative and powerful documentary on the history of jazz dance by award-winning director and filmmaker Kadifa Wong. While America has recognized jazz as a national treasure and often referred to as America's greatest cultural contribution to the 20th century to the world, jazz music, culture, and dance all seem to suffer the same challenges deeply rooted in racism, which robbed the black originators of this art form from the credit that is due them. The key issue this film raises is the distinction between appropriation versus appreciation. And without further ado, I would like to welcome my very special guest, Kadifa Wong. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is a delight to have you. And uh, so I can tell that you are not from the Southern United States. So, uh, no. so let's start there. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about you and your origins, your background. I just, you know, I just want to hear about you and then we will move this conversation forward. Sure. I was born in London, um, born and raised in London and started my career off as a dancer and then um, got injured like lots of dancers do. And that ended my career. But I was lucky enough that it happened at a time where I was young enough to retrain. So I did some soul searching and retrained as a filmmaker and haven't looked back. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So are you still in London as we speak? Yes. Yeah. Lockdown in London at the moment. So we oh, can't wow, go yeah. 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 Lockdown. We're all in lockdown. We're just, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So I want to talk about then the, the idea of the film. So you, you, you've stated that you come from a dancer background and, um, and the injury and then going into filmmaking, but to, to arrive at the topic um, this topic of jazz dance, what sort of journey, uh, how did you arrive at a point of knowing that this was a significant topic that needed to be covered, either based on your, your experience as a dancer or your observations? I'm just very curious as to how you landed sure. there. 
Well, it's, it was quite interesting. It was a matter of complete and utter fate. I'd taken a job um, as a dresser in the West End and walked in on my first day and a man called Zach Nemrin, who is the original idea creator of the film and part the choreographer, did a lot of our dance work on the film, knew that I was in filmmaking and he was teaching jazz dance. And he was complaining about the sort of lack of awareness and lack of knowledge of his students based on the history of jazz dance, that they weren't sort of doing enough to research and, and understand their actual lineage and the role that they played in the evolution of jazz dance. And so he sort of said to me, you know, I want to do a film about jazz dance. And at this point I was like, okay, cause I was a contemporary dancer. So much more Martha Graham, you know, uh, Merce Cunningham, that kind of thing. So it's very sure. balletic. Um, so that was what my idea of jazz dance was. And I was like, sure, well, let's, let's do something. Cause I wouldn't mind doing a dance movie. Yeah, We went to New York and we did some research and we met our producer, Lisa Don Marive, and she said, well, it's all very well just focusing on what people don't know. But the thing is, what don't we know? And so she said, I think the way that we do that is by looking at the entire history of jazz dance. And, you know, we didn't realize how vast a history that was going to be because of what we've been taught. And so I did my research and there was a book that had been recently published by um, Lindsay Guarino and Wendy Oliver called Jazz Dance, A History of the Roots and Branches. And within that book, there was a discussion going on between many of the black jazz um, educators and dancers of the time mm -hmm. saying, you know, it's all very well you writing this book, but you've got to make sure that you acknowledge where this comes from. And a lot of people didn't really know, including myself. So when I read this book and saw this conversation, I was like, oh, now that is, that's the conversation. That's what needs to get on film. That's mm -hmm. way more interesting than just lecturing people for an hour and a half, two hours on what jazz dance is. It's understanding jazz dance and a true understanding of what jazz dance actually is. And as I did my research, I realized how much I'd been robbed of the true nature of what the movement I had been doing. And so that became the message of the film is I didn't want people to be robbed of that history like I was because I turned my nose up at jazz dance. I thought it was sexy. I thought it was um, just for people with long hair that they could flick around as opposed to grounded movement rooted in African movement, which is my heritage. Yes. So I rejected it. And um, so it was a real journey of discovery. And I was like, this is what I want people to, to go through. And all of us on the film came from a dance background or from different sort of areas of it and all kind of came to the same realization. And it was a real personal kind of moment of discovery for us all in different ways, because we're all different ethnicities and different genders, but it for ultimately became this journey of discovery. And it's something I'm really proud of. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you said something a moment ago, and, and I, I, I know I'm not going to, to quote it correctly, but it was, there was, when you said you felt robbed, you felt like there was something you, that was being held back from you. So can you speak to that? Because I know what it's like when there's a find, you, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and your face is cracked for a minute and you're like, oh, what? You know, yeah. and there's this entire library full of information that somehow did not make it. Um, and, and particularly, I must say, as it relates to race and, and racism, uh, systemic race, as it relates to that, there, you know, I have been focused uh, since I started this podcast. Uh, my focus has primarily been uh, racism in America and really taking a look at it from every possible angle. You know, I'm almost challenging myself to discover an angle that racism is not a major force in. I haven't found it yet. And um, so, um, so that that is the challenge. But I do know that 
week after week, depending on, you know, who the guests are and what the topic is, there's always several moments of, I had no idea because none of this is a part of the history books that we all sat in class next to each other. We didn't get this. It, yeah. There's like this hidden closet full of other information that when brought to the table makes this make sense. Yes, you know what I mean? absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I did my degree in dance. So I you know, went through the sort of conservatory training and we're taught that dance history begins with ballet in the courts of the French. Uh, French nobility and, and things so you think that that's where dance begins and the dance that you learn begins on that journey but it actually doesn't it begins in Africa before slavery but we're not taught any of that and so when I look back on my dance education and the the kind of week that was devoted to jazz dance it was the usual kind of oh you know black people came to America somehow they don't like to mention it but the, you know somehow we got there conveniently to them and right. then it's um then there was some jazz dancing happening and the cakewalk happened and then we had minstrelsy but we don't want to really talk about that and then we go into suddenly the Savoy Ballroom and then we go on and that's kind of the dance education I got on black dance so for three years my entire schooling was on a Eurocentric dance style on ballet and how everything stemmed from ballet so ballet we were seen as the it was seen as the originator the creator and anybody that had anything to do with dance base their work off a balletic form technique shape which when you think about it it's so obvious now you've done your research you're like of course that's not right <laughs> but when you're young and you're you know you're in a place you're one of maybe six black kids and in, in a in a year of a hundred you're not in a space to raise those questions you're not really in a space to ask and this is what you're told and so you're like okay and it's not just that it's a few people almost everyone buys into that myth and so that's all the information you have. And so when you look into textbooks and you see maybe this much written on jazz dance, the Oxford Dictionary of Dance has this much on jazz dance. And you look at the language that's used to describe black dancers, black creators. We're not described as graceful. We're not described as elegant. We're described as energetic or rhythmic. And so they already bias everything against you. So it's not just systemic racism. It's also anti-blackness that we get within mm. that curriculum because you're also not taught that what you're doing or what you are is of something to aspire to. So yes, you can be a tap dancer, but they never taught us that that was something that you aspired to be. It was just decoration on a West End Broadway stage. And it's not the tap dancing that was real. It, it's a very stylized theatrical tap dance. The same with jazz dance, the jazz dance that we do was done to very popular music, very poppy, you know, you're more likely to dance to George Michael than you were to Nina Simone. Right, right. So it, it, it's not that they don't have merit. It's just that that's what you're told jazz dance is. And so there was no connection to the music and no connection to the history. And wow. so what, you know, you suddenly realize, well, I should have been doing African dance as a core technique. I should have been doing drumming and percussion and rhythm instead of, you know, the musical ta, 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 ta. You know, it's not the right. same thing. It's not the <laughs> so same you realize thing. realize that that is complete. You've been completely robbed of an entire syllabus. And, and that's what was really hard to stomach. Um, and it leads you to question what else you've been kind of um, robbed of, really. Yeah. Wow. That's rich. <laughs> Can you say all that again? No. <laughs> no. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so enjoying this because um, uh, my, my music background and, and um, 
which I had stated earlier, but for the benefit of the audience, and uh, I have a significant jazz background. I mean, it was, it, it was uh, Louis Armstrong. I mean, I literally saw uh, the five pennies with Danny Kaye and Louis Armstrong. And it wasn't Danny Kaye, even though I always enjoyed him because I always was one who would flock in to watch the movie musicals and whatnot. I just so enjoyed it. And uh, as a youngster, I mean, I would just, it's, it's time for me to go in, you know, and, and watch the TV. And so I was watching the five pennies and this elderly black man comes out and just captured my attention. He didn't come out swinging or playing or anything. It was just a dialogue scene. And I was like, who is that? And then he, of course, you know, is a plays the horn, the trumpet as well, because the five pennies is about red nickels and the five pennies, which was a big band yeah. uh, of which Danny Kay played the band leader. But Louis Armstrong, when he picked up the horn, it it was a continuum from his speaking voice. And I did not I could not have articulated that then. But it took me 30 years to go. That's what did it, because it was seamless. It was seamless. His experience, his expression was completely seamless um, with the instrument being an extension of his voice yeah. and, and me understanding that. And, and it brought me such joy. And I proclaimed to my parents in that moment uh, after that movie, I said, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to play the trumpet. And that's how it started. You know, that's how it started. Um, so I've been in, heavily involved in the jazz community of uh, in Indiana, um, which we have a significant uh, jazz history and heritage. And I've also served on national uh, national boards, uh, the African-American Jazz Caucus. I served on the board for a number of years and served as its president under the tutelage of legendary jazz bassist Larry Ridley who had a phrase that he used, and I, I don't know whether uh, he is the person to, to be credited to the phrase, but in my life, he's the one I credit the phrase to. And it was, you've got you've to understand the roots that produce the fruits. Okay, so when I saw Uprooted, I was immediately, okay, I got this, because, uh, you know, Larry Ridley laid it down, and that's what our job was, was to pretty much monitor the education process of what was happening in universities and conservatories regarding jazz history, jazz education, and making sure that the story was straight. That's a lot of what the job was, was policing that yeah. story to make sure, oh, are there Black people involved with that? And making sure <laughs> that, because sometimes it appeared that there was no presence of Black people involved with the creation of this music at all. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, and it's still in danger to, in, in large part too. So anyway, we'll be right back in just a minute. Kadifa, I'm so enjoying this. And I, and I, I promise you, I think my speech is done now. So now it's, it's all on you. So, <laughs> so you are listening to Bill Myers Inspires, and I am here with my special guest today, Kadifa Wong. Please stay with us and we'll be right back in just a moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time 
for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. Here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday. 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. I'm your host, Bill Myers, with my special guest, Kadifa Wong from London. London? Wow, I'm impressed. Lockdown in London. We're all locked down. So, um, so yes, we are talking about uh, jazz has been uprooted is the topic of today's show. And Kadifa is a filmmaker and she made a wonderful documentary film on jazz dance. And that's what we're discussing today. And so Kadifa, I'm just curious. So, so you were, um, were you taking a dance class and then you, you met uh, the, or your instructor was the gentleman or lady that had an idea about this? He, he was actually in the ensemble. So it happened um, in a dressing room and he was in the middle of getting changed. And I was in the middle of putting his trousers on and he was like, Oh, you're making films. He goes, I have an idea for something. I think I want to do a film about jazz dance. So the show was going on. It was Jackie Watt and scoundrels. And, you know, there was a big scene happening and, you know, that's what you do when you're backstage and need to talk. And so the right. best ideas come when you're in a bit of a rush. And that's what happened. Yeah. So happened in the strangest of places, but don't all ideas happen in a, in a fun and relaxed atmosphere? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So then from there, you sit down, you sort of formulate, come up with a game plan. You mentioned your producer was in New York. Is that? Yeah, she was in L.A. and we'd been in New York. So we okay. yeah decided okay. to hook up with her because we were in the same time zone. 
<laughs> okay, so so I want to go back to the formulation of this, and then you you uh, identified uh, uh, people that you would like to interview and that sort of thing. So just walk us through the that process. Uh, I think it's very interesting um, because uh, I also have a film filmmaking background school and all that sort of stuff. And so, but I, but the origin of a project is never the same. It's kind of like the, you know, a song, which came first, a lyric or a melody or a beat. And, and it's kind of like all the above, because at some point, any, any of those things, those seeds could be a point of departure. So I, I just am excited to hear your journey and how it unfolded. So well, we were very lucky that all of us involved had had a long career in the West End as performers and um, me working in wardrobe as well. Um, so we'd worked with a lot of the people that were in the film. So we were able to utilize that to our advantage and just sort of say, look, you know, this is what we're doing. Can you give us an hour of your time? And so Lisa had done Chicago with Cheetah Rivera and Zach had done some shows with um I think Susan Stroman and Lisa had worked with Susan Stroman as well. So everyone had those kind of organic connections. And then as we reached out to the people who wrote the book that I mentioned earlier, they also gave us authors. So as the news of the film spread, everyone would be like, oh, I think you should speak to so-and-so. And have you spoken to so-and-so? And it became this really nice organic collecting of people, um, which was lovely. And it felt like we had real support from the jazz dance community as well, because people were invested in it and made sure that we were getting every viewpoint, because that's what we wanted. We said we want as many voices as possible because you cannot distill the history of jazz dance into a select few voices because it's just so mixed and varied. You have to have everybody. You have to have performers. You have to have professors of dance. You also have to have choreographers and directors and a few musicians as well. So it, it really was that kind of support from the jazz dance community that helped that film grow to what it is today. And everyone was, you know, it was like, bring a friend. <laughs> so we yeah, were yeah. very, very lucky. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So when did you guys go into production or how did that, when did that process begin? It happened so quickly because um, Lisa is a firecracker and was just, you know, we met her in the July and by November it was like, right, we're in London and we decided to film in London because that's where most of us had our connections and we used that as a testing ground. And that was when we really started to just explore topics and, and what we were going to cover. Um, and we, so we were starting to get a semblance of the idea of, of, what, um, of what the film could be. But in between that filming in London, I watched the documentary about O.J. Simpson, um, Made in America, which is like a seven hour epic documentary. And when you think about your ideas on O.J. Simpson, watching this film, it took me on this roller coaster journey, but they went back to his birth. And, you know, the first sort of two and a half hours are all about the civil rights movement and slavery and everything in the United States. You're like, oh, so to understand O.J., it's not just enough to understand the day he was born and what led up to it. You have to understand before that. Right. And so that's what I was, that's when I was like, okay, that's what we need to do with jazz dance. We cannot understand it and we cannot get the answers that we need if we don't also go back and start at the very beginning, the very, very, very beginning. And that was when we started to formulate a film that was going to encompass not just the artistic side of what jazz dance is, but the social and political side, because you don't get it without the others. It would be impossible to do a true representation of what jazz dance is without looking at the history 
and the politics and along with that the racism and, and systemic racism and anti-blackness and prejudice that went on with it right. so yeah it was um it was a daunting task but our editor who was an american um really kind of was the one that brought it into shape and set a time we set a timeline up of the world and so it wasn't just dance events that we had on this timeline we had you know world events significant people significant movements um all then inform and that can set your context you're like wow it's amazing that this musical debuted at the same time this was happening and how did we manage to get showboat at a time of segregation and that's incredible but also strange because of what is happening in the world and then you look at the Savoy Ballroom and you're like well how is it that you know that was the 20s and that was the first time we desegregated public spaces in the United States in it's fascinating and we we were 100 years away from that so you can understand why there's all these problems today when it's been barely 100 years since segregation ended in certain parts of the country so you have to you know we really wanted people to understand that that's what formed jazz dance too it's not just people thinking up steps in their bedrooms or in their dance studios they were standing up for something they were fighting for something and they were crying out to be heard and they did that through movement yeah, absolutely. Well, it's so interesting too, because uh, just as and and I'm 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 I feel great that we're we're talking about jazz dance because <clears throat> one of the key points that I found myself always sort of wanting to uh, bring up to uh, points of awareness uh, when I was with the African-American jazz caucus was we get to talking about the music and musicians and just vibing with all that. And I go, you know what, let's, let's look at jazz in the much broader context, jazz as in the jazz era, jazz culture, what that ushered in that ushered in women's rights that ushered in many, many more things because, uh, there, there's a wonderful piece by, uh, Martin Luther King that I may want to I may actually bring it up in the next segment and it was the opening address for the uh, 1964 Berlin Jazz Festival and I don't know if you came across it in any of your studies or anything but it is an amazing piece a very not one of his more famous pieces but what he's talking about is is jazz how that in a very short period he talks about that being born out of the oppression of a people a black people and and then he sort of expands very quickly to encompass we all have the blues we all you know have to rejoice and clap hands and be happy we all blah 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 and so it's it's one of the shorter pieces it's only like maybe two paragraphs but man what a rap to be able to take the entire history of jazz and the significance of it and boil it down into two paragraphs and go ta-da, here's what it is. And now it's in, it's shared and experienced, you know, by many, many and, and everyone, you know, that that human piece. But boy, it, it starts very much as, as a cry of a people. Um, and I think that that um, it's, it's important because, again, like I said, even Black jazz musicians, I mean, oftentimes we just get so rooted and stuck in the music. And there was something very interesting that occurred during the documentary, which is when the swing era, when, when the music changed to the bebop era, and it did sort of halt everything, but it also kind of caved in the jazz 
jazz's big heyday as music as well. Um, it moved into a far more segmented uh, place of an acquired taste versus it was American popular music mm -hmm. up until then. I mean, it was it it owned the entire pop songbook. So. Um, yeah, it's just very, very interesting. And then once it became not danceable and became this sort of more internal, just self-expressive thing that became even more difficult to listen to, people also flocked away from it too. It lost its thunder in that way. And a lot of, I get into it and argue about it, but the facts are the facts. People walked away because they wanted to go and have a good time. And the one thing that is very rarely talked about is all the musical art forms that were born out of jazz or created by jazz folks. Quincy, Quincy Jones is a jazz guy, folks. I mean, he's a jazz arranger, a jazz trumpeter. Um, I, I mean, but so little knowledge. It's like that parts of that, the jazz part or influence to so many folks gets severed. Yes. And I don't, I, I just don't understand why rather than looking at jazz as a 2% of the music scene, not looking at it as the parent. I, I've always called it the quintessential deadbeat parent because it does not claim its children. Because if it laid claim to its children, then we would understand rock and roll, Motown, all these things were jazz guys. I think it's Period. just unwillingness to give credit where credit's due. And I don't know why we can so easily do that with classical music, but we can't do it with music of black origin, whatever it may be. We don't seem to want to, as a, as a society, recognize that. And it's like, yes, jazz musicians sort of went off into a more kind of in, improv improvisational space, but then so did Stravinsky in classical music and it was embraced and seen as high art and was seen as a pinnacle of something. And why don't we write about jazz in the same way? So you, I think it's more the social than it is the artistic kind of temperament or tastes of people that were, were doing that. And I think if you're not in the community of the music that it comes from, you're not seeing the evolution. So you're not gonna notice that jazz led into people like Quincy and then how Quincy kind of influenced a generation and how now, if you look at all of these musicians and you even go as far as looking at say K-pop and what they're producing, you can trace that all the way back. Um, to, to the United States and to Africa and, and slavery. It's all a direct line if you want to look for it, I think, but I don't think people want to. I think they just accept what they're given and they don't want to do the deeper meaningful research into where that stuff has come from because it, I think it unveils an uncomfortable truth, maybe. Well, we're going to talk about that just a little bit more, that uncomfortable truth when we come back. <laughs> You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires on the Inspired Choices Network, and we're continuing our Black History Month series with my guest today, Ms. Kadifa Wong. We'll be back in just a moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, 
jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. Here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We are back, and we are here with my special guest today, Ms. Kadifa Wong, who is a wonderful filmmaker, and she has made a wonderful piece of art and information called Uprooted, and it's a documentary film about jazz dance. Now, before we went to the break, you mentioned a phrase, uncomfortable truth, and I just want to to, uh, have you expound on that for just a moment, because Whenever this race, I mean, the whole notion of racism in and of itself is is uncomfortable truth, depending on who it is. And there's a lot of people who don't want to hear it because it's all we're whining or bitching, moaning again. It's not that it's significant. It's a story. It's people's story. So would you share your thoughts on this uncomfortable truth as you see it, whether it be related to film project or otherwise? Yeah, I think it's more that we, at the moment, the world is going through a reckoning of our history. I know in England, um, you know, we have for years and decades talked about the glory of the British Empire, but we don't really talk about what that is. You think the empire is lots of sailing ships and going around the world and we say that we colonized the world, but actually what did we do? We committed genocide and we wiped out civilizations in the name of queen and country. And so, you know, we're having this reckoning and I think what people don't want is that feeling of shame that can kind of come with finally understanding that this beautiful, glorious history that you are part of wasn't great for everybody. And so, yes, on if you're on one side, sailing the world, discovering new lands, that sounds wonderful. But if you're like me, whose ancestors are from that land and they wiped out the original indigenous population and started again and enslaved your ancestors, that's not exactly something that you would revel in or celebrate or wish to walk past a statue of on your way to work every day. Um, and I, I, I'm doing a, a anti-racism course, I'm editing one as a filmmaker. And one of the stats that I found most interesting was that um, when the UK ended slavery, they paid reparations to the slave owners for losing their quote unquote merchandise. And this wasn't paid off, the debt was so big that it wasn't paid off until 2015. And this was paid off by the British taxpayer. So that meant that this was paid off by me as well. And I started working in about 1993, 1994. And so my taxes since then up until 2015 have been going off to pay 
the people that were inconvenienced by the freeing of my ancestors. So that's what we mean by uncomfortable. You have to have this reckoning that it's not fair for everybody and you may have benefited from that. And I know just even being a woman of a lighter skin, that reckoning of the privilege that I've been given is uncomfortable. So we're all feeling uncomfortable in some way, shape or form. But it's a truth that we have to acknowledge. And it's a truth that you have to kind of go, ah, oh, I may have got that show or that job because I'm lighter skinned and speak slightly differently. It may not have been my own merit. It's uncomfortable to ask people to recognize that. It, and it's important that we kind of, with empathy, understand what it must be like to hear those things. And so that's why I say uncomfortable because it's not an easy thing to hear. And some people will do the work and, and, and reconcile with that. And some people just aren't able to handle that truth. Mm -hmm. and, and in a way, I feel sad for that. And I understand it. Um, my empathy extends only so far, but it, <laughs> right. you understand it. You know, I, I do have some empathy for it because it, it, it can't be easy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that is awesome. Well, we deal with the uncomfortable here. We, we, we dive into the uncomfortable Um uh, last week we had, um, uh, Risha Rainey, who is, um, descendant of Thomas Jefferson. She's, she's a black woman and she's a member of the daughters of the American revolution. And I mean, you know, and, and, and we just talked about the uncomfortable, all these interracial relationships throughout the history of American history, the stuff that nobody wants to talk about the stuff that makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. And um, so we do uncomfortable really well here. So <laughs> it's like, when you say uncomfortable, I'm saying, tell me more, right? <laughs> so let's get back to, let's get back to the film. So, so what I'm deeply concerned about, and I, I have seen the film and I really, really did enjoy it. And I learned several things and, and it was good to see some of my peeps in, in that their film. And um, so I, I know that you are. So tell us about the journey of the film as far as I know that you are uh, on the film festival circuit at this point. So yeah. so give us some some idea of traction and and all the amazing things that this film has done thus far. Well, we're very, we've been very grateful. I'm very grateful that it's been received as well as it has. And the aim of the film was to open up a dialogue. We, it's not about being right or wrong, it's to get people talking. And so if we can in the dance community have people start kind of questioning their syllabuses, questioning what it is they're teaching and where they're crediting jazz dance as coming from, then the film will have done its job. And what's nice is almost every day we're getting a message from an educator saying, when can I see the film? When can I get a hold of it? I want to show it to my students. And so we're really grateful that that is, that that is happening and the film is, is doing what we set it out to do. Um, and so, yeah, as it, as it goes to more festivals, as it plays more places, um, we played in places like Beirut, which is wonderful. So you're like, that message is getting out and you see the countries that have an affinity for jazz asking for that content. And it's not always in the places that you think, but then again, you look back on the history and you know, jazz went to the Middle East and was really quite popular. So there's a reason why Beirut and places like that are kind of fond of it and want anything to do with that content and that music. So yeah. it was really wonderful for us. So what type of feedback have you gotten from the, the Middle East? I mean, Beirut as an example, because I just, I'm fascinated by that. You know what I mean? Just to hear, because it, it feels like 
Beirut, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> no, 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 really, you know. Yeah, it, it seemed to go down very well. And when you look at the sort of history of places like Beirut, um, Lebanon, Libya, they've always had an affinity for black culture. And they've always been very welcoming. And what people don't necessarily realize is during the 60s and when they were trying to, especially in Britain, the civil rights movement was happening, they were speaking to us about how they could help. So they were mm. providing allyship to black civil rights activists. Um, and so there's always been that affinity there. So they, I think they found it interesting. And I think they understood where the music came, came from and the pain and, and, and where the dance comes from and, and that kind of oppression how you can create great art from that because obviously they have systems of apartheid there too and they have struggles and tribal conflicts as well so i think the themes in the film speak really well to that wow that's incredible that's awesome i mean that, that's got to be hugely gratifying when it lands when somebody yeah. gets it you know and yeah. appreciates i mean i mean that's <laughs> got to be huge so 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 uh so what awards and and all that sort of stuff now let's get into the the name drop part of the story <laughs> yeah, I we, this. We, we've run a few we, we, yeah. we run a few and um again very grateful because what's nice is a lot of those awards were audience awards which meant that the people watched it and voted for it and actually had to do something to allow us to win to vote to take those couple of minutes out of their day after watching it and so that is very very gratifying for us um, as a group of filmmakers, just knowing that the audience are appreciating what we're doing. Um, and then on, on, you know, on the secondary, more vain note as a filmmaker, it's nice to win jury awards and, and, and stuff because you want people to see that there was thought behind what you were doing and, and right. you know, there were choices that you made visually and stuff that you're like, oh, please notice, because that's your, that's your outputting of your artistic expression. Yeah. And so you know, yeah, we've been very, very lucky that um, we've been recognized at Dance on Camera, San Francisco Dance Film Festival, but also at non-dance-based film festivals like Skyline Independent Film Festival and Flickr's Rhode Island Film Festival and Raindance. So it was nice that we were getting a mix of dance festivals and non-dance festivals because the aim wasn't to make a dance film. Right. It was to make a film about dance and everything that goes with it. So the dance is just a part of it. It's also the social political aspects too. And that came about from sort of bit that the film was formulated in 2016 when we'd had the Brexit vote and Trump had got elected and you just felt like your voice had been taken away from you. I was like, well, how can I speak? Oh, I'm gonna make a film. And that, that so it's, it felt like a real kind of nice validation of, of what we wanted to say. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I So, you you mentioned and again here I go. Okay, so you mentioned uh, uh, the the parallel of Brexit and and uh, and then Trump here and the timing of all that. So your observations on all of that. I'm just very curious because again, you are in uh, London and I'm in the United States. I have my own thoughts about it, but. <laughs> I've been talking about that for six months. So I'm, I'm going to now, I'm just curious what your observation is of the, the parallels and what your observation is as a Londoner of what in the world is going on over there. You, you know what I mean? So I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because in England, where America goes, we can normally say that England's going to follow in a little bit. And so you got Trump and then we got Boris Johnson. And they are exactly the same. You know, they're both out of the Steve Bannon playbook. And 
you know, play to populism, play to xenophobia, play to division in order to get what they want. And so it was, you know, definitely very scary because, you know, we'd had these wonderful eight years of Obama. And so we were like, well, how, how, how has this happened? And I was actually living in the States during when Obama was sort of on the road to getting elected. And you saw the change and how, you know, how the country came alive. And I would walk through New York and be like, oh, this feels great to be here. Yeah. And I remember coming back in, I think it was 2016 and just, it was only oh no, 2017, it would have been, it was just not the same place. New York had lost its vibe and its sparkle. And the same thing happened in the UK. We, you know, had this very divisive vote that wasn't based really on fact or it was based on sentiment. It was based on emotion and appealing to people's lowest kind of deepest, darkest feelings and really playing to immigrants. And, and so it was very hard to kind of watch and see it be successful in two kind of democracies that I re always ultimately respected. And you look to America for guidance, you look to America for kind of, you always assume that America knew what it was doing and had, you know, was solid. And then this happened. And now what's interesting is you look at this impeachment trial and you're like, it's so clear to see what happened. And you've got people arguing about it. And what's scary is it's not just a few people. It's a lot of people that believe it. And a lot, you know, nearly half the population have mm -hmm. come out. And you're like, but how is this the same country that we saw elect its first black president? It just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. but that but here we are and so it, it, it's still something you're trying to take stock of but um, I'm not anywhere near kind of wrapping my head around the whole situation yeah yet. no it, it's a bit much that's for sure yeah. it's a bit much well you articulated that very well and I and I I concur with everything that you said um and it is it's a mess I, I mean I've been watching this impeachment thing and it's it's like when we say, well, up is that way. No, up is that way. It's just like, whoa, you guys literally don't know which way to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Completely out there. Okay, so we are going to take another break. And uh, this has been a delightful conversation. And um, so you are listening to Bill Myers Inspires, and we continue our Black History Month series with Miss Kadifa Wong, who has a wonderful film called uprooted and today's topic is jazz has been uprooted and we will continue with that conversation in just a moment today we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives from our health to political unrest the environment financial uncertainty and the nation's racial divide tune in every friday at 3 p.m eastern standard time for bill myers inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com and sign in for the latest news and updates.
You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We are back, and you're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. And before the break, um, I had mentioned to you about this piece, uh, which was uh, Martin Luther King's um, opening address of the Berlin Jazz Festival, and the title, or it has been titled over the years, called On the Importance of Jazz. And I just want to share that real quick, and then we'll jump back in. God has wrought many things out of oppression. He has endowed his creatures with the capacity to create. And from this capacity has flowed the sweet songs of sorrow and joy that have allowed man to cope with his environment and many different situations. Jazz speaks for life. The blues tells the story of life's difficulties. And if you think for a moment, you will realize that they take the hardest realities of life and put them into music, only to come out with some new hope or new sense of triumph. This is triumphant music. Modern jazz has continued in this tradition, singing the songs of a more complicated urban existence. When life itself offers no order and meaning, the musician creates an order and meaning from the sounds of the earth which flow through his instrument. It is no wonder that so much of the search for identity among American Negroes was championed by jazz musicians. Long before the modern essayists and scholars wrote of racial identity as a problem for a multiracial world, musicians were returning to their roots to affirm that which was stirring within their souls. Much of the power of our freedom movement in the United States has come from this music. It has strengthened us with its sweet rhythms when courage began to fail. It has calmed us with its rich harmonies when spirits were down. And now jazz is exported to the world. For in the particular struggle of the Negro in America, there is something akin to the universal struggle of modern man. Everybody has the blues. Everybody longs for meaning. Everybody needs to love and be loved. Everybody needs to clap hands and be happy. Everybody longs for faith. In music, especially this broad category called jazz, there's a stepping stone towards all of these. Isn't that a wonderful piece? Absolutely beautiful. And so in this context, I just want us to mildly stretch our imaginations to include dance in this, because as we're talking about it coming through the instruments, it in dance, it's coming through the instruments as well, except the instruments are our human bodies. And so when I read this, I can I understand that it's not a separate conversation. Um, And I I don't think it ever should be a separate conversation because there's the you know, it's uh, I, I've considered jazz to be the ultimate f- uh, 
freedom of expression art form. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, for me as a dancer, I remember what was interesting was I didn't really go into jazz dance. I was more into the contemporary or modern side of dance, but mm-hmm. the teachers that I had would use jazz music for us to dance to. And so you could be free to it because it was so sort of fluid and rhythmical and unpredictable that it suited the contemporary dance medium very well. And the jazz dancers were dancing to pop, which yes, the dancers were doing back in the day, jazz was the popular music. But I think it was interesting that it was then embraced by the sort of freer modern contemporary dance teachers of of the time. And and so I always remember that. And that became my sort of jazz music and jazz and marrying dance education, strangely enough, through the modern world and not the jazz world. And I always find that a very strange irony. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So here's and now I want to make sure that we 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 save some time here at the end because we've only got about two and a half minutes left. But I want everyone on the planet to see your film. Thank you. <laughs> because I think it's a wonderful film. It's called Uprooted. And it is a film that sort of delves into jazz dance and takes a look at that. So is there any uh, future or anticipation for a distri- distribution deal or anything that people can do to look out for this film so they can see it? Yeah, we are working on distribution. We've got a couple of big festivals coming up, which is nice. We're at Toronto Black Film Fest this week. We'll be um, in Milwaukee for their Black History Month celebrations um, next week. And in March, we'll also be at the Oxford Film Festival in um, Mississippi. And we'll also be at the Pan-African Film Festival, which I think is towards the end of February, beginning of March as well. So okay. plenty of opportunity for people in the United States to see it. Yeah, well, and 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 our uh, Inspired Choices Network is out of Canada. So that is coming up. The that's, Toronto that's, Film that's Fest. That's happened now. So they've got until the 21st at Toronto Black Film Fest. Get out there, folks. Get out there, folks. Check it out. Uprooted is the name of the film. It is a fabulous film. So and, and so congratulations on that, because that's a birthing process. I've been there and it's, oh, oh my, you know, I wonder how they're going to receive it. Will it, you know, so and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, so um, I look forward to your your upcoming projects. Thank you very much. Thank you. And yeah. so whenever you are ready to to spill the beans about what's in the hopper and what's what what you're working on next, please feel free to call Bill Myers because I am interested and I think your work is fabulous. And I know that, that your, um, your eye, your depth um, is, is solid. So I'm congratulations to you. you you. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Indeed. You're welcome. You've been listening to Bill Myers inspires, and I want you to all to have a wonderful week and we'll see you here next week. All right. So uh, as we continue our series on Black History Month, have a wonderful week. Thank you for spending your afternoon right here with us at Bill Myers Inspires. Remember, we're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Inspired Choices Network. Remember to take time this week to take a breath and look within yourself and figure out how you can make a positive difference in this world. Spread the word, and we'll see you here next Friday. Have a wonderful week.